Welcome to the Lloyd's List podcast. This is Michelle V.C. Bachman, Senior Analyst at Lloyd's List Intelligence and Markets Editor, Lloyd's List. This is another in a special series of the podcast to be broadcast this week to introduce our listeners to the seven candidates standing for the election of the position of Secretary General at the International Maritime Organization. The vote takes place on Tuesday, July 18, and the winner will take up the top job at the IMO at a pivotal time in its 70-year history. Today we meet Nancy Karagitu, who became fascinated by the sea when she was a little girl in rural Kenya and listened to the sounds of the sea from the cowrie shells given to her by a visiting teacher from the UK. Now she's Kenya's candidate for the top job at the International Maritime Organization after a long and distinguished maritime career in both government and the private sector. She was among the first of the seven candidates to flag her interest for the Secretary General's position, which begins on January 1, with the winner succeeding the incumbent over the past years, South Korea's Kitak Lim. Kenya's campaign has been a very high-profile one, and like all the candidates I met with, I asked Nancy why she had put herself forward for the role. Thank you very much, Michelle. Thanks for Lloyd's List for having me on this podcast. I'm looking forward to sharing some of my ideas that I would be bringing to the role of Secretary General IMO. Thank well, you. Well, well, tell me a little bit about yourself and the, the listeners. Who are you? What's your skill base, your aims, objectives, and, and why you're putting yourself forward for this job? I hold a master's degree in international maritime law from the IMO International Maritime Law Institute based in Malta. And I've had a long-standing association with the maritime industry, the evidence of my service being in the form of recognitions and awards that I have received in various types over the years. I've also had a very wide range of experience, both within public service, that is government, and also at the IMO, where I started off as a consultant and then have been serving as a delegate to my country for the last 20 years. Let me say that I have tested and proven leadership qualities, both nationally in the region where I serve, as well as internationally, having started my career at the lowest echelons of the public sector and rising to head the public policy and regulatory organs in my government. First of all, as the long service serving head of the National Maritime Administration, then most recently as the principal secretary of the State Department for Shipping and Maritime, both of them first roles. Uh, then I'm currently serving as presidential advisor and special envoy for maritime and blue economy in my government. In a nutshell, I've had a career experience in the shipping industry spanning 38 years. My leadership was recognized through election as chairperson of IMO's Technical Cooperation Committee, which I served for three years. And in 2018, being elected to serve as vice chair for Africa, for the International Mobile Satellite Organization, that is IMSO, among others. I've initiated and led global initiatives uh, within the maritime industry for security, maritime security, preservation of the marine environment, and let me say most recently in the development and adoption of IMO guidelines for the prevention and suppression of smuggling of wildlife on ships engaged in international maritime traffic. Uh, guidelines were endorsed by the IMO file committee in 2022. And recently, uh, two months ago, I was appointed as co-chair 
of the Africa Europe Foundation Strategic Group on Ocean Governance. That is a now, very, very long CV. <laughs> I've cut a bit of it, maybe. <laughs> okay. But, but, but how, how, did you, how did you get into shipping? Um, I always, I'd like to ask this question because I fell into shipping by accident. Did you set out to have a career in the maritime sector? How did you, how did you arrive where you are? Okay, when I was a little girl, I grew up in rural Kenya, far away from the sea, like 700 uh, uh, kilometers. But when I was a little girl, like around five years, my father, being a teacher, introduced me to a foreign, um, foreign overseas teacher, actually from UK, mm -hmm. under the ODA program. They were serving together, and she introduced me to, uh, what is it, making paper boats. Okay. And then we would float them on water. Then she would travel the country and she went to Mombasa and brought us cowrie shells and taught us a poem. Very interesting that I've never forgotten that poem up to now. Uh, because it went to end up with, a, there was this little girl who had uh, a gift, I mean, who had many cowrie shells. And she was talking of, when I get a blue shell, I'll give it to my brother. When I get a white one, I'll give it to my mother. But when I get a pink one, I'll keep it for myself. I'll hold it to my ear and it will bring back to me when I'm far from here, the mamas of the sea. So that created, uh, you know, a curiosity about the sea for me and the cowrie shell. That sound was very fascinating because it's actually yeah. hummus. You know, it hums. Yeah, no, I, I know. So now, when I was of age, not really of age, I was a young girl and we were making career, uh, school choices. I wanted to go to the coast, 750 kilometers away. And I saw the ocean and it is fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. And my school, we had uh, an hour between dinner and prep and we used to have the, this program on radio, Sundowner, and we would go to the play group, playground as a group of girls and listen to sundown are watching out into the ocean. And it looked very fascinating. I mean, when I did my law degree, because I left that school to go to the capital to do a law degree, I came back immediately, got mm -hmm. a job uh, with government as a legal advisor, but I always longed to join the port sector. And they seemed happy people because mm -hmm. they had, uh, you know, they had facilities, uh, to buy houses, to buy vehicles. And I'm like, well, this is what I would like as a young entrant of the job market. But when I was employed two years later as a legal officer, I found my niche and that's where I wanted to stay. Uh, that's uh, the, the, the stint at which I got the scholarship to study. I say that I'm a product of a Global Village because as you see, my beginnings and interest in the sea were because I came yeah. into contact with someone from uh, here from abroad and they introduced me to all these things, including the Reader's Digest, which I love to date. Mm -hmm. Then when I was in uh, working in the port, I got a scholarship from the government of Canada through CEDA then. Mm -hmm. And I studied uh, maritime law in, you know, Malta. And when I came back, I thought, now I know so much, it can't be contained in the port. And that's when I resigned and went and set up a small boutique uh, legal for law firm and IMO came calling and I became a consultant to help Africa establish uh, independent maritime organizations and I never looked back. Gotcha. Now 
one of the 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 highlights of your literature is that you, if successful, would be the first African Secretary General and the first woman. And we were talking about this earlier before we started the podcast. Extraordinary that in 70 years, A, there hasn't been a woman and B, there hasn't been an African. Yes, very interesting. But let me say first that uh, the IMO role is true. That's for one. There's never mm-hmm. a requirement that it has to be a man or a woman. Of course. Uh, but that said, let me say that I have the competencies of running the organization from the history I've just told you and from my experience, my skill space, my exposure. I want to say that I've, I was made for this. And uh, I'm looking at it and thinking that uh, every, every so often, like we've observed, IMO is now 70, over 70 years in existence. And I would want to stand by at the standpoint that global organizations such as the IMO need to think outside the box with new impetus, new perspectives, and thinking that is not polluted from uh, the business as usual norm so that we can ensure that the IMO remains relevant and effective uh, as an organization in the 21st century. And therefore, a future-ready 75-year-old IMO needs new firm and biased neutral pair of steady hands to navigate the organization through the changing and uncertain global maritime terrain. And this is the reason for which I am seeking, among others, uh, to be the next Secretary General so that I can be given the opportunity to bring in that new thinking and perspectives uh, to the organization. So be it that I'm a woman. That's it. Now, I think it's fair to say that the IMO is really at a point where its relevancy will be tested if the 175 member states are unable to reach consensus in some of the very difficult debates that are underway, one of them, of course, being decarbonisation. How would you, should you be successful, how would you bring about consensus Let me start by saying that uh, IMO operates on the basis of consensus on critical issues, and this is a critical, one of those critical issues. However, in a bid to ensure and achieve consensus, critical discussions do take a bit longer uh, to conclude in a dynamic maritime environment. And there is therefore a need to relook and if need be review our method of the committee meetings with a view to making uh, decision-making much faster. Sounds simplistic, but I believe it's achievable in an environment of one, transparency, and also leveraging with member states. I believe this is achievable within the first two years of my term of office. But that said, I will spearhead and adjust an equitable transition to decarbonization of the maritime industry through IMO greenhouse gas uh, reduction initiatives in order to realize global equity, number one, social justice, technological inclusivity, and most important, uh, sustainability. I plan to make IMO regulatory process faster, uh, particularly when it comes to climate change, by encouraging those nations with the resources, technology, and technical expertise to provide comfort and support to those less endowed. I will aim to build trust amongst member states so that they are willing 
to compromise for the common good of international shipping because this is the reason that IMO was created. So towards strengthening global cooperation, trust and partnerships, I will aim to forge stronger collaboration among member states and the shipping industry, as well as other stakeholders by increasing transparency and enhancing communication channels. This will help build trust and ensure that uh, the IMO remains a critical and crucial platform and the forum for driving global maritime policies. You spoke about leveraging in order to make decision-making a, a faster process. Can you provide some more detail around that? Let me say that uh, this will mean creating a platform for open, transparent, and constructive dialogue among mm. IMO member states, on the one hand, industry stakeholders, as well as environmental organizations. But most important also emphasize the importance of evidence-based decision-making by investing in scientific research, data collection related to decarbonization in the maritime sector, and most important, ensuring that this information is distributed accordingly to foster common understanding. Because when all of us start from the same platform of knowledge, and uh, knowledge that we trust, then we are able to move together towards the same uh, decision because then we know what are the issues clearly we know what do we need to do what technology is available how will we access it and then when we agree on the strategies and the regulatory process then we all have buy-in and we move together uh, towards implementation without feeling uh, some of us are at different you know straight mm. arms mm. yes well, most I... important will be to encourage a spirit of compromise because uh, we cannot all stand on our high horses each each one of us uh, so a very strong spirit of compromise among member states and stakeholders will be very important uh, in order to identify the shared objectives and therefore work towards finding practical and achievable win-win outcomes that can gain broad, broader support. Now, you mentioned transparency and accountability as being one of the ways where we can look at fast decision-making and opening up the IMO. Um, mm -hmm. where, where would you like to take the IMO when it comes to boosting transparency? Because it has, I think it's fair to say, it's quite an insular United Nations agency. Um, how do you bring the IMO to have an outward-looking perspective okay let me start by saying that uh, the the organization is quite technical is a technical you know is is a specialized technical and also a diplomatic organization mm. so on the technical side opening up IMO's business such as online meetings which we've already started hybrid mm. opening those to the public may not make much difference to the watching ordinary public because uh, even at home, even among my colleagues in government, it's not easy to understand IMO. When you start talking MAPO, SOLAS, MAS, mm. you lose people. Mm. So that may not help much. But I believe what would count uh, and make much more sense is the creation of public awareness uh, at very basic level on the critical and very important work of the IMO in global trade. When someone goes to the super, supermarket and they cannot find 
a basic item like food, agricultural, because it didn't come because of delay in sheep. And I mean, they don't usually make the connection. For example, when we had the shortage of toilet paper arising from the Suez Canal issue with mm. Ever Given, not a lot of people made the connection and we lost uh, an opportunity maybe of telling them, look here, this is what shipping does for you. So the IMO Secretariat can be proactive in sharing information about its activities, its decisions, progress on key issues, then the public uh, perception begins to change. And also enhancing uh, public reporting through regular updates, press releases, and publication of meeting outcomes. This is another issue that can improve transparency and ensure that those interested parties, including the media, have timely and accurate information on which to report on. Now, expanding the media rules, uh, the media reporting rules can contribute to accountability. That's one of them. And also facilitate better understanding of individual positions within IMO without, you know, coloring them. And, and I know I've been, I'm saying this because I've been misquoted at once on Twitter when we were mm. in an online meeting. Mm. But if someone had uh, the means with which to understand what the you know the particular delegate is saying and then not misrepresenting uh, a delegation's position, that would help in uh, enhancing transparency and also, most important, encourage delegates to act responsibly and be accountable for their positions and statements when they know that there is this measure uh, of accountability that right. is placed on them. I can't think of a more important time for the Secretary General candidates to be discussing in an open mm -hmm. forum their aims and objectives. It really is a, a pivotal time for the IMO. So Nancy, I'd like to thank you very much for being a guest with Lloyd's List and we shall await the outcome of the July vote with great interest. Thank you again. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak. I've enjoyed the session. <laughs>